Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. It feels good to be a gangster. A real gangster ass nigga plays his cards right. A real gangster ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth. Cause real gangster ass niggas don't start fights. And niggas always got a high cap. Showing on his boys how we shot him. But real gangster ass niggas don't flex nuts. Cause real gangster ass niggas know they got him. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so happy that you've joined us yet again. This is Gerald, one of the peas with you, and I have a very special guest on the episode this evening with a very fun topic that he came up with. He handpicked himself. I'm excited to have this dude on the show because we've been friends online and on social media for many years. We've admired each other's shows for many years. We've been on other shows together on a handful of occasions. We we, we linked up at live stream, uh, live stream for The Cure and talked to Adam Sandler a couple months ago, but for whatever reason, Dave from Super Movie Bros has never been on two peas, and he's here tonight. He's the other pea on the pod. Dave, what's up, brother? You did it, Queequeg. Yeah, you harpooned your white whale. Fucking finally. No, man, I, I had such a great time uh, doing live stream for the Cure. I got absolutely hammered. I was, yeah, oh, no, you were done. Yeah, you. Were I was at, done. You I was done. I think I had out. like four or five of those cocktails that I made. And then I just kept rolling into segments, and like I'm sure at some point someone was like, "Dave, you got to get off." Like you're <laughs> not me, man. We wrapped it up. I had the midnight show that night, and you had just done your segment. I'm like, "Stick around, man. We're gonna talk Sandler." And it's yeah, fu- it is funny because I was like, "Let's do it. Let's pour another one." I I got it in me. You're like, I am the law. I, uh, it was the first time I threw up like in probably like eight or nine years. Man, I was listening back to that episode because I put it on my Patreon for everyone, and I was like, "David's drunk." Like, he's fucking done. Not as thick as your drunk I am. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, well, tell everybody what we're counting down, man, because you picked this topic. So what's the top five tonight? Absolutely. So I'm really into the the behind-the-scenes stuff of movies. Like, I I, I love hearing director stories, actor stories, and stuff like that. But the stuff that really geeks me out is the creative departments, the people who are involved in Mm -hmm. in costuming, who are involved in, in, you know, design and props props are like that thing that it's like it it can make or break a movie if you have a really cool prop Mm -hmm. it's eye-catching and it becomes memorable and it eventually it becomes collectible and then they get to make more money on the back end merchandising merchandising right right i love that dollar so movie props we're doing our top five movie props now a, a quick little parameter we gave ourselves dave is we're not going to do weapons and we're not going to do vehicles. Correct. It's too easy. Yeah. It's too easy, right? Because yeah. then you're like, all right, well, let's throw our Millennium Falcons and our lightsabers in there. Let's get our, you know, our T, our, our T one thousand shotguns or whatever. Everything else under the sun, like you could throw in there. Right. Um, and then it it makes it almost impossible to narrow it down to a type of list that right. you would want to talk about. You know. So how about so when you were coming up with the list, let's talk about that real quick before we get into the actual list. So don't give away any props or any titles that we're going to be talking about here shortly. But you were telling me that it was tough to narrow down for you, right? You had like 35 or 40 initially? 
It was, yeah. So I went, I, I, I initially, like, at first I was like, all right, these are, like, the ones that are right off the top of my head by sitting in my recording studio. I looked around at all my collectibles and mm-hmm. all my toys. And I was like, that, 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 right. that, and that, right. that. And then I started, like, doing a little bit of online research and thinking outside the box, checking out your Twitter post uh, where you were asking listeners to jump in and, and say some of theirs. So I was going through some of those. And, I like, before I knew it, it was, like, 35 long. And I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah. How do I narrow this down? And then I realized... It's the ones that are closest to me, the ones that I thought of right off the top of my head. Uh-huh. Th- there's, there's your, there's your ones. Now it's about you know putting them in order and filling out the honorable mention slot. Right. Well, it's a bummer for me in a in a a, a little bit because I, I was telling you about this before we started recording in the pre roll. But my wife and I had a conversation a few hours ago, and she'll ask me like, you know, what are you recording tonight? And I'll tell her what the topic is. And she'll just kind of give me, you know, whatever she thinks of, you know, like, oh, well, this is what I would put on mine. And so she had a few good ones. And then I kind of told her some of my picks and she's like, well, that you can't do that. It's a costume. That's not a prop. Right. So, so we had this whole debate, her and I, and I'm going to actually be mentioning some in my honorables and then one that I just left in my top five that Dave, we're tight, man. So if you want to be like Gerald, you're you're an asshole for putting on there, then please do that. But, oh, I, I, mean, I what, expect what do you, to have fun doing that. Yes, yeah, so, Paul. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to do that. You did that on the movie draft, so why not do it here? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Why but not? I mean, where does it cross the line for you? Don't again, don't give away any titles. But I mean, what? Where's that costume kind of line for you as far as a costume versus a prop? So uh, I don't want to. Yeah, without giving away anything, I would think that the the level of design that goes into it. I think. I think. Now, I'm not saying like the costume department doesn't do, like isn't designed like 100 percent is, but there there there's things that that are part of a costume that go on to be so iconic mm-hmm. that I think you can almost call them a prop. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't say like a t-shirts or or like a cloak or anything like that mm-hmm. can be a can, can be something that's like a prop, but Maybe like a certain brooch or a helmet or, yeah, or you know, okay. something like that can probably go on to be a prop, but mi- but maybe not like a hat, you know. Right. So there, th- there's All a right. level of I-, I would say if it's, if sculpting was involved in creating it, then I-, I would probably put it in the prop category. So if it okay, so it's funny that you said that. So let me ask you this then. This is kind of piggybacking on what you just said then. So if it's something that was like handcrafted and created by hand as opposed to something you could walk into a store and purchase, would that be considered more of a prop to you? Like if somebody made yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Like, for you sure. know, found as long scraps as it's not a around their house. No, no, not a weapon. <laughs> or a time travel device or a vehicle of any kind. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. So you want to get into it, brother? So we're counting down our top five movie props. And I think as we go on, Dave, and we list some of these, this conversation will probably come back into play. I know one of mine in my top five kind of toes that line a little bit when we get there. Yeah, when I got so. stuck, I was like, all right, we'll throw it in the honorable mention. Just got to brush it under the rug there, and no one will say a goddamn thing. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Oh, man. All right, Dave. I love you, brother. I'm so glad you're finally on the show. You're a great dude, and I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, so, man. Super really happy to be here. Yeah, Thank man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So, Super Movie Bros, check those guys out. Day and Jave are a hoot. And all their information is going to be in the show notes, so make sure you look them up. Dave, I'm going to let you tell everyone where to find you at the end of the episode, too, okay? Awesome. Thanks. All right, man, but to get us started, top five movie props. What's your number five, Dave? All right, my number five is the Necronomicon 
Evil Dead, specifically Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dead by Dawn. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's my, that's my favorite version uh, of the Necronomicon. That's the one that I looks the most iconic to me. It's got the big, wide, gaped mouth, uh, more of like a maw than like the first one. The first one just kind of had sort of like this oval circle shape uh, for like a mouth, but like they, they they really amped up the the evil nature of the Necronomicon in Evil Dead Two. It's one of my favorite movies, and it's one of those collectibles that like I remember when I was getting into movies, I was like. I want I want that version of the DVD of Evil Dead 2 that is shaped like the Necronomicon. Right. So, and where does this movie fall for? I mean, is do you prefer the sequel over the original as far as the movie is concerned? 100%. Yeah, right, right. That's yeah. that's where Sam Raimi was like, you know what? I know what this is. I know, I know exactly what this is. And then he he went in and you know, people the, the the critics of Evil Dead 1 were just like it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know whether it wants to be a comedy or a serious horror film. And right. Sam Raimi was always of two minds of that as well. So he said, "You know what? Like fuck you. I am just going to make mm-hmm. a comedy horror film." Right. And really mastered it and it was really early on in that in that respect too. So very revolutionary in that way too. I also prefer Evil Dead 2, so I was glad to hear you say that. But I know awesome. that I know there are are some purists that, that love the originals i wasn't sure where you fell there but it's great and and it's a wonderful testament to like go out there and make a film like guerrilla style filmmaking like the the original one they didn't have the money for squibs they didn't have the money for like exploding heads and stuff so mm-hmm. they had to make it and then load up a 10 gauge shotgun mm-hmm. and fucking shoot ahead <laughs> which is the biggest no-no in hollywood i mean brandon lee lost his life (laughs) to a live to a live gun on set it's the biggest no-no in the world but they were out in the backwoods of bumfuck nowhere they're fucking nobodies making this money for practically no money and they're like well how do we get this to work and you know sam raymond just i know how to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fucking load it (laughs) just fucking load it (laughs) yeah i got it i got a way to do it yeah all right, so the Necronomicon is your number five. Good pick, man. Uh, I, I, it didn't make my list, but I did consider it, and I do love that movie, so I'm so glad it got a mention tonight. So that's your number five. All right. So my number five is a different direction, man. So I'm going to start us out with comedy. So I, I don't really put a lot of comedies on my list unless that's the topic, but I, I, this movie is one of my all-time favorite movies, especially in the comedy genre. And this is just a very iconic prop that doesn't, matter to the story really but it's one of the, it's one of those props that keeps kind of turning up throughout the movie and then it has a pretty awesome send-off at the end of the movie too this particular prop does but it's mike judge is office space and it's the red stapler from office space oh yeah is my number five yeah, that's awesome i did see that on some lists and i did consider putting it on there but i uh i'm one of those people who saw office space later you know like i i didn't i don't think i caught it like and like it's fever pitch. I think I caught yeah. it at the tail end of that when everyone's like, "You haven't seen that? You got to see it." And anytime that happens, yeah, you've ar- you've already put the pussy on a pedestal to steal a line from another comedy. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the hype's too big at that point, you know. I, yeah, I, I get it. But I did see this early on. I want to say this was late '90s. I actually have it here. Hang on one second, Dave. I think it's so. Uh, so, so what made you not want it? Go so ahead. what made you not want to go with the jump to conclusions board? <laughs> the jump to conclusions mats a good one, and my wife said the printer. The printer would have been a good one too. Yeah, where they get gangster. I, think, and beat I would the say shit that, that that. I would say that is like the most iconic yeah. uh, from that film. But I, but maybe it's just the scene because otherwise it's just like a fucking HP commercial printer that ran out of toner. And yeah. what else do you do? The toner costs as much as the printer itself does at that point. <laughs> Michael Bolton is just so pissed at it, you know, he's just banging it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know the red swing line stapler is just first of all it's so it's so bright red like it's 
weird, right? Like you don't see staplers like that really, you know, and it was so unique and I felt like it was bright red for a reason. And I don't know if Mike Judge was trying to just kind of make it a focal point, but <laughs> Steven Root's character is just like, can I please, can I, do you have my stapler? I want my stapler. You know, and he's like just constantly wanting the stapler when it's the most meaningless thing in any office environment is a stupid fucking stapler. But Milton Wadham. But it's also that is, thing that would send it. someone over the edge. <laughs> yeah. It's also that thing that would send someone over the edge, right? Like, I mean, right. I worked in an office. My pens always went missing. Like, right. it is that it is that thing. And for right. this movie, it is the little girl in the red dress. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. It's, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. And that's why I put it on my list. You know, I thought about the printer. I thought about the jump to conclusions, Matt. I do love this movie, though, and I haven't shouted it out on this show very often. So anybody listening that loves comedies, please seek out Office Space. It's awesome. Uh, it's one of the best comedies to come out of the 90s, especially if you've ever worked in an office setting. I mean... But we don't want to build it up too much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Yeah, in case you don't like it, you know, yeah. Uh, so that's my number five, the Red Stapler from Office Space, and that swings us over to you for your four, Dave. What do you got? All right, so uh, this is one that like I thought about for a long time because it comes from one of my favorite movies, and I didn't really know like how to like put this put this movie on this list with something that is that iconic and then I, I thought about it and i just remembered like there's no way he can go down with three barrels not three he can't and i was like the three yellow barrels from from jaws it is something that was like just that image of those three barrels just skimming across the water was so iconic to me like growing up as a kid um that i was like those those props mean a lot to me i like i actually knew a guy who who went to uh, out to Martha's Vineyard where they have a mm-hmm. Jaws Fest like every year, mm-hmm. um, and he purchased one of I think it was like eighteen barrels that were like used on the set, oh, and he purchased okay. he purchased one of them, and I was I don't know remember why I was just like man that's fucking cool yeah like all you did was buy an empty keg but that's fucking cool but yeah I mean it was used <laughs> in Jaws you know come on wow that's a good pick man I didn't even think about that. Um, I mean, I, I would like to sneak Jaws in here, but I would not have thought about the three yellow barrels. That's a great pick, man. Well, you can't put the Orca, right? I mean, that's a vehicle. It's a ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there really is nothing else in that movie that's like that iconic. I mean, the shark itself, but that's well, a character. Yeah, then that's I was going to say, yeah, that's uh, right. That's also special effects more so than it is uh, more so than it is props. So, I agree. I agree. But you have the, the, the three yellow barrels, man. I just love I just love that image of them like skimming across the water, you know, Quint can't believe that they go down and then they just pop back up just bobbing up and down there. It's just That is a good it, one. It, it's it's a wonderful way to build suspense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That and coupled with the music too. Forget about it. Oh, yeah. it's, it's just iconic, bro. So, good pick, man. You got a little horror-centric list going over there which you know I'm a big fan of, so nicely done. The Three Yellow Barrels from Jaws is your number four. My number four, again, very different than your number four. It's coming from a musical, and it's coming from a family film that I have loved since as far back as I can remember. I watched it with my folks. I watched it with my grandparents. My kids have watched it with me. They're going to watch it with their kids. It's The Wizard of Oz, bro, from 1939, and I'm talking about Dorothy's Ruby Slippers is my number four. That's a good one. That's a good. I'm not a huge fan of the movie, and uh, I don't think I ever got bit by like the the fandom bug of it. But those certainly are massively iconic, and a prop that went missing for years, didn't it? It did. Yeah, I heard the story of that too. I don't have the facts on that, but I remember hearing that as well. I I think they're in they're in a museum now, though. Um, yes. 
I want to say in LA, but I don't know which one exactly. But yeah, they've been uh, recovered and they're in a museum now as we're speaking. But I mean, the Ruby Slippers, you know what they represent. You know, there's no place like home. Um, and just that kind of image of her clicking her heels together and literally just the image of her feet with the ruby slippers on there. And then you also have the image of the Wicked Witch of the East in the beginning when she first arrives in Oz because she has the slippers on and you see her feet with a house on top of her and they kind of, you know, transport themselves onto Dorothy. And that's when her adventure begins. You know, as a viewer and as an audience, depending on the level of believability, you know, we're led to believe this is in her imagination. Uh, but just, I mean, it's just such, such an iconic the Ruby Slippers are such an iconic movie prop, if not the one of the most iconic. So I, picture I love this movie, man. So I had to put it on here. There was some guy on that set who had to take red red pumps, red red high heels, <laughs> uh, and he had to glue rhinestones yeah. all over the fucking place. Yeah. And then he had to shine them before every scene. And then there's a lighting guy standing over there where they're like, because they didn't have special effects. Oh, no, yeah, they, they're all they, glimmer, glistening. Right. So, so they're like more light. No, not that angle, this angle. Like, could you just imagine just like the painstaking like level they had to go into just to make them sparkle in that way? Like I, I would probably get fed up. You know, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. You shine on yourself. Go get your shine box. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shine box could have been a movie prop. What do you think about that? <laughs> get, get your fucking shine box. <laughs> oh man. Um Yeah, but you know, I, again. Just kind of the nostalgia for me with Wizard of Oz. I've named it on a couple other lists I've done for the show, and uh, I thought of it pretty much right away. And it's such a classic, man. And I feel like if you're going to pull a prop out of that movie, the Ruby Slippers are the one to go with. So that's my number four. I get the feeling that me and you, even though uh, they are very different lists, we are both going for those nostalgic things. It's not It's not so much what's the greatest. It's what's yes. nostalgic to us. Yes. And I think that's the best way to do your top fives and stuff because top five is top five. I mean, I don't want to sit here and say that mine's better than anybody else's because it's always like a personal thing. Right. And that's and, why I uh, love when guests pick the topics because I, you know, I want you to obviously give me your picks, you know, and the, why did you want to do it? What are your five favorite and then I picked my five favorites, so it's definitely a personal list. Uh, with that being said, Dave, I think the Ruby Slippers would be on a lot of people's. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Not why I did it, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty popular pick. So, all right, man, we're over to you. What's your three? Uh, so, there's many cuts of this movie. Uh, there is the theatrical cut, the international cut. There is the, the director's cut. And then there's the final cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a ton of different cuts. Uh, but it has a very iconic scene uh, where a origami unicorn is left for Deckard. So, it's mm-hmm. the origami unicorn from Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Because it says so much about every... It sums up the movie that you just watched, <laughs> in, a, in a sense. You know, Deckard's been having those dreams about that unicorn. And it's kind of like that. This little like signature that's like wink, wink. Right, but remind me. But remind me what the deal is. There's a certain cut or like the theatrical cut where it didn't make any sense, right? I don't think the theatrical cut put it in there. That's the one that opted for the Harrison Ford voiceover, which he recorded like completely hungover and disinterested in doing it. Mm -hmm. So like all his lines are just kind of like this, and Mm -hmm. he just doesn't fucking care about goddamn thing. Like (laughs) when you go back and watch the theatrical cut, it's not a bad movie. It just it, it just. It doesn't make as much sense, but when you flush it out and you and you go deeper in it, like the the 
the final cut is my favorite cut of, of Blade Runner ever. It's the first version I ever saw. I actually had to go back and seek out like the theatrical version and the director's cut, which was not done by Ridley Scott, the director. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I I just love what the origami unicorn represents. You know that it it, it represents the way you probably the way you feel about the film at the end. How do you take the meaning of that origami unicorn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one, man. I'm, you know, I'm not a huge Blade Runner fan, but I did see this one come up on a couple lists when I was researching and stuff. And I know this is a popular pick. Uh, this sounds like this is very special to you too, which is awesome. And I know I, I do. I did see some. I was watching this video on YouTube, Dave, where they did like you know the best movie props of all time or like whatever, and it was on that list. And they were talking about the history of it and how it was missing from one of the cuts or something like that. Where if it had yeah, been, if it had been cut. in there, if it had been in there. It would have been so much more like it would have been a much better explanation to people that were seeing the movie. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah with it not there, just as like a huge missing piece. So. All right. So the origami unicorn from Blade Runner is your number three. Now, you mentioned a couple horror picks earlier, Dave. So here's my horror entry this evening. And it might be the entry with the most bit of controversy as well. So you ready? Absolutely. <laughs> so we we're talking about toeing the line between props and costuming and I feel like this is a little bit of both, but I'm going to say it's a prop because I'm going to say that it's used to enhance scenes, um, and it also is there to make you go, "What the fuck is this? Why? Why is this here?" But it—I don't really even know how to phrase it because I kind of thought of this myself. I haven't seen it on any list, but it's Danny's headdress and robe from Midsummer, Ari Aster's film from last year. The floral headdress and robe made out of flowers that she wears as the may queen i i feel like this is like a first base hit and like ty is going to the runner on this one because (laughs) obviously it is a costuming thing like that is a costume department thing but at the same time so much i mean you know uh, if if you if you know a florist i actually have a florist in my family so much design went in to that and it gets enhanced you know also by visual effects and stuff as well but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think this I, I think you can go with prop for this. I think it's both. I mean, in fairness, I think it's both. I mean, not to take anything away from the costume design and the costuming department because they obviously had a huge hand in that. But I do think it's a prop in order. And what I mean by that is like it was placed there to do something visually for the viewer. Like, you know, you could have very easily just had her wear a crown or like, you know what I mean? Like it didn't have to be the elaborate kind of uh you know eye candy that it was do you know right. what I, you know what i mean that's why it seemed almost propped up for us as the audience and that's why and then i it becomes told myself such a focal point especially when you add in those visual effects as things are opening and closing on and it's almost taking on a life of its own as it mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's it's like a brain leech that's been put on her head that, that starts you know right right controlling her and actions it, it does kind of turn her a little bit too you know yeah so I, I'm glad you like this. I mean, this movie is so divisive. Like, I, I watched it with my wife. My wife was like, eh, you know, it's it's boring. And I was like, mm. I think that's what I love about it. It's so slow and methodical. Mm-hmm. And when you get when you get something that's horrific in it, like, uh, you know, a man falling from yeah. 65 feet up, mm. it is, it, it's so picturesque and beautiful, like juxtaposed to the stark reality of this man's head splitting open like a fucking cantaloupe right. or or rock melon for you people over across the pond. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, and those moments are so few and far between that like when they happen, they, they 
feel so visceral and they stick with you so much that like that's what that's what made me like fall in love with this movie and i talked to other people who are like it's i don't know it's boring i feel like hereditary was the one where everyone was like i'm down with this i love this Mm -hmm. but for me midsummer was better yeah ari esser's i mean i've said this before but along with robert eggers and jordan peele i mean he's my favorite filmmaker working today i just i love his eye for filmmaking and what he did in midsummer that i thought was really cool i mean come on bro this is like a horror film in broad daylight uh and it's such a unique i mean i'm not saying it hasn't been done before because it has but like you said it was just so beautiful that you wouldn't think it was a horror movie (laughs) you know you would think you're watching the sound of music or something i mean it's crazy if you're looking at just the visuals so i agree with you all right oh man how you feeling in that movie oh yeah on on another level bro another i fell in love with her yeah me too me too and then i I saw her in the trailer for uh, Black Widow, and I was like, "Sign, sealed, divorce." <laughs> if she if she came, <laughs> I'm in too, bro. She is awesome. Did you see her in Little Women last year? Uh, I have not seen Little Women. Oh, so good uh, in that too. She's nominated but for supporting. She's for that. the reason I liked fighting with my family. So yeah, she was great in that. Yeah, not yeah. a lot to love in that movie. Her performance, though, she's just one of those Fantastic. actresses that or actors that come along that they just have it. I mean, they just know. I mean, she's so young, so it's not like she's it's not like she's going based on tons of experience. I mean, she just has that quality. Do you know what I mean? I feel like exactly. Uh, she's such a great young actress that's going to be around. I mean, she could be the next Meryl Streep. I mean, literally, she's, she could be around for the next hundred years making movies. She's like a Rachel Vice, like a, a really, you know, a very good-looking every woman. Yeah, who can act the shit out of anything practically. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man. All right, so we're up to our runner up. So I got a little divisive there, a little controversial with my number three pick. I do have a couple that were even more divisive that I moved to my honorable mentions. In fact, Dave, my wife pleaded with me for me to move my number one to my honorables because she said, that is not a prop. You are going to get eaten alive if you put that on your props. So it is in my honorable mentions. So we'll talk about that when we get there. But before we do that, what's your runner-up, man? What's your number two? Yeah, uh, so my my number two, my one and two, these were the easiest ones for me. Uh, these ones, I think, have, have been in their spots the entire time. Uh, but my number two comes from a, a film that I think all film fans love especially people who grew up who are our age or around our age Mm -hmm. in your in your 30s and 40s and stuff you grew up watching these movies they're iconic they have a fantastic score and it's an adventure that we all love to go on and when they go to 2015 even though we're past there Mm. we all wanted our hoverboard yeah everybody wanted their hoverboard we never got our hoverboards i mean we got the ones with two wheels on either side that that caught on fire and (laughs) burned a lot of people alive (laughs) but we didn't get we didn't get these ones you know the ones that can't go over water without power (laughs) so so good it's it's the it's the hoverboard from back to the future uh too and i mean i actually have the nike sneakers like i I oh yeah not the legit ones, the ones you buy at Universal Studios, uh, but they glow and stuff like that. But I couldn't put those on the list because that's costume. Yeah, it's costume. Uh, well, but I remember seeing yeah, this hoverboard is, as yeah. a kid, and like people tricked each other into you know I had a hoverboard. Like, and they actually made that part of like a Goldbergs episode where like kids would talk about how they have a hoverboard. Like Mattel actually <laughs> made a hoverboard, uh, but it only went out to some select kids for testing, and then it was never approved for the market because it was deemed unsafe. Uh, and I mean, okay. obviously, all that's not true. But I, I just remember like those conversations with kids, like when I was younger, where it's like, oh yeah, no, my 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 cousin's best friend had a hoverboard. I rode one. Yeah. Well, that's cool. How it like. <laughs> 
like created they kind of created that lore that doesn't even it's like an old wives tale you know like they just kind of right. created this thing you know that was really cool that but especially the one marty uses it just looks so mattel like it just looks so appropriate for for the time and it, and it just fits into the world so well that you just you could believe that it's real like you could see that on a shelf because you'd probably seen a hundred different skateboards that look just like that except they didn't have iron man repulsor lifts on the bottom right <laughs> right well it's a good pick man uh you know where the hell are why don't we have this technology yet uh because i believe the germanic hordes burned down uh alexandria the the library in alexandria yeah maybe just that's it. Set, set us back a, like a, a couple hundred thousand years <laughs> maybe that's it no nah, we would be pick, we'd be chilling with the grays up in uh some space station like uh you know just kind of starting our own uh star fleet did you see <laughs> did you see they just announced the 4k blu-ray release 35 anniversary no i did not yeah no. man it's gonna be coming out the box set for the 4k for back to the future i'm excited for that i own these on uh digital like i have them on dvd and stuff but like once once i got a 4k tv uh i went and i bought them in on on uh one of the streaming services i bought them for hell yeah dude uh, that's awesome for the ultimate viewing experience and they hold up they look oh good they're great they look yeah. so good they're great man so the hoverboard from back to the future 2 great pick i love it my runner-up is uh, possibly, I, I thought we were going to cross over on this, Dave. I'm, I'm kind of nervous now. I mean, I guess unless it's your number one, but it's the briefcase from Pulp Fiction is my number two. What do you think? It is not on, it's not on there. Wow. It's not, okay. it's, it's not on there. Um, All right. Well, I have something else from Pulp Fiction, but okay. go on with yours. I'll be excited to hear about that then. But I mean, the briefcase for me, uh, you know, kind of like you said, I mean, I probably could have picked three or four different things from Pulp Fiction and definitely from Tarantino's catalog. Uh, he has a great, he just does so many different facets, or I should say he has the people working with him that can just do these things so well, whether it's music or props or costumes or whatever. And it just comes together so beautifully in his projects. But in Pulp Fiction with the briefcase, you know, we're first introduced to this, uh, when Jules, when Sam Jackson and Travolta are going to the, the apartment, they get in there, they want to find the goods, they get it, they put it on the counter. They open it up, and you see this glow coming from the briefcase. When Travolta's looking at it, it kind of lights his face up and illuminates his face. And he shuts it. He says, oh, yeah, we're happy, you know. But you don't know what's in it. Uh, They never tell you what's in it. Tarantino never divulges what's in it. And it comes up a couple more times throughout the movie. Uh, In the diner scene, Tim Roth sees it, and it has a very similar reaction where he's just kind of, like, shocked at what he's looking at. Um and I just love how the ambiguity there, and it's just like, it's our desires. It's what we want to be in the briefcase. You know, Tarantino, I feel like purposely didn't tell us what it was so that we could have this conversation, you know, 25 years later. See, uh, I've always uh, thought I knew what it was. Because um, I think I was I was in my mid-teens when I watched Tarantino films, like all in a row. So I started with Reservoir Dogs, and then watching Pulp Fiction. I always like in my mind, I'm like, I I just put those two movies together, and I was like, it's very clear that they're the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. Well, when he wrote it, possibly that's, but it wasn't filmed that way though. It was not. You know know what I mean? Like it wasn't. And then, then of course, there's the theory that it's uh, 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 
Marcellus, uh, Marcellus Wallace's uh, soul. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's one that a lot of people throw out there that it's just kind of like this. But it's just a MacGuffin. I mean, that's all it is. Right. And I, I love that aspect of the film, that it's like a MacGuffin's a MacGuffin. It's just a vehicle to continue moving your story forward. It has nothing to do with your characters or the overall plot. You know, they could be looking for a stuffed platypus, <laughs> right. and it would still just be as, as, as you know. Right. Right. Revealing. You know, so just as good. You know, and when Vincent's opening the case and the code is 666, you know, it starts with that, which I love, you know. And like I said, it's just, I just love how Tarantino, here we are, me and you, Dave, we're sitting here 25 years or whatever it is later talking about this. 26, yeah, 94 it came out, right? right? Yep, so. 94, yeah, talking about this briefcase. And like you said, people are saying what they think and, you know, Marcellus' soul and so on and so forth. But that's the point is like, He's created a conversation, whether he meant to or not, or whether it was by accident, I have no idea. But I think Tarantino's a smart guy. I think if he had said, oh, you know, it's just a briefcase full of crack or whatever, then (laughs) we wouldn't be having conversations about the fucking briefcase. You know what I mean? Um, And it's because of its kind of mystery surrounding it, I feel like, is why it's such a good movie prop. And like you said, it also uh, acts as that vehicle of moving the story forward while also having us kind of question, is he ever going to tell us what's in it? Are we ever going to find out what's in it? And then we never do, but you're not let down because of the rest of the movie and because of the overall you know, climax of the film. So I love it, man. The briefcase is, is my number two. Maybe it's Marcellus Wallace's man card because we all know <laughs> that he looks like a bitch. <laughs> so he has to keep it close to him. Is just in the, case someone says more, more Marcellus Wallace yeah. looks like a bitch, <laughs> he can pull it out. Just his man, man card, card. man card and a bunch of Band-Aids in there. That's it. <laughs> wow. All right, man. Well, we, we flew through it, brother, but we are up to our number one movie props. So what is your number one, man? I'm excited. All right. So this is one that... I've been watching this movie since I was knee high to a duck, since I was a little kid. I absolutely loved it. I loved the world. I loved all the equipment in it. I loved the characters. And about two years ago, my daughter fell in love with this with this film that I love so much. Mm. And she wanted to be, you know, one of the characters for Halloween. So I painstakingly went through like like one of those cosplay dudes and I made my own Ghostbusters trap. Mm. Ghost trap to give to her to wear as a costume. I couldn't find a proper proton pack. The Ruby's ones that they sell in the Halloween stores were not out at this time. They, they came out like the following year and I was very pissed off. So I ended up buying her one of the 2016 Ghostbusters backpacks, mm-hmm. uh, proton packs, but she didn't care. She ran off, but she had an authentic Ghostbusters trap. And I absolutely love it. It's just that, just that scene of them holding Slimer in the Sedgwick Hotel. Right. They got him suspended. Ray slides it over, puts down the visor, stomps on the on the uh, on the ignition switch as it, as it opens up, and just the sound that it makes yeah. as it's sucking him down, and then the way it closes, just and it's just all, and the smoke coming out. I fucking love it. It's, just it's so just inventive, like, man. It's a, so inventive. It, it, everything in that movie is so inventive. I, I contemplated putting Egon's PKE meter on here because uh-huh. I love the story of that prop. It's been a, it was, it was, it's just a shoe polish case. That's all it is. <laughs> but it was actually repurposed crazy. from, from, from something else. And I want to say it was a Star Trek communicator, which were all made from these, from, from these shoe polish cases. And they repurposed it, added some LEDs and stuff like that, added some wiring and some moving parts and stuff to make Egon's PKE meter. And 
that's what I love about props is just taking these mundane things mm. and turning them into something iconic that looks like it belongs in that world. And everything in that movie, from the proton packs to the PKE meter to the to the ghost trap, it all is fantastic looking. And it's just so out of this world, but believable in that world. And right. I can't get enough of it. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. <laughs> I love but we're it. having a, we're having a special on uh, storage of the thing, so that's going to bring you to five thousand dollars. <laughs> five thousand dollars? Oh man, that's a good one. I'll the, never pay it. That's a good one, man. The ghost trap. Your number one. That's a classic pick, brother. My number one, Dave, is the only prop that I think it would be safe to say is also a important character in the story. And without this prop, the film narrative would not have been as intriguing as it was, or frankly, as interesting as it was. But it is Wilson from Castaway, the volleyball in Castaway. All right. I saw this on a ton of those lists, and it absolutely is a character. And I am guilty of crying as Wilson is just drifting away. And I'm just like, God damn it. And he's like, Wilson. It's just so gut-wrenching because it's all that he had for, I want to say it was like seven years he was on the island. Uh, I think that sounds right. But it was a long time, and that was all he had. you know. And he had created this kind of like fictionalized friendship with this volleyball and drew the face on it and had conversations with it, got into arguments with it. They would plan their escape from the island together. Had sex uh, with it. You know he, uh, he had sex with you, it. You know he did. <laughs> that was you off. That did. was off camera. But yes, yeah. That was in that. That was in that like uh, five to six year jump that they did. <laughs> it was on there. He's like wow, like, he's really attached to Wilson. What's going serving on? up crabs and coconut milk oh, of like a candlelit dinner for him and Wilson. <laughs> So he lays him down gently in his little shelter, and yeah. he's just like, "Wait till we, be gentle. wait till we, gentle. wait till we see the deleted scenes from that, huh?" I'll be gentle, uh, but you know, to your point though, I tell you what, man, one of the just most soul crushing pieces of of cinema was just when he finally gets off the island and he loses that companion, you know, and he's uh, like, I don't love the movie Castaway, I really don't. Oh, really? But like, I'm a big fan, but of it. I. I do get into the emotion of it in that third act. You know, I guess you could say like end of the second act because I think reassimilation is kind of like is, is kind of like the third act. But uh, like I do get into the emotion of that um, by by that point. But like the movie as a whole, I don't I don't I don't truly love. I really don't love the ending of it. Uh, that was really. I, I like it. I just, I feel like it's too long. I wish they. It I is. wish they'd uh, shave twenty to thirty off of it. But I mean, I do think it's a great film. Ever since like I. Ever since like the mid '90s, it just it just seems like for a movie to be to be memorable and to be considered for like a, a top 100 greatest movies of all times, it has to have a runtime of yeah. two hours, ten minutes plus. Yeah. It seems like yeah, stop doing that, and that guys. bothers me. Me too. Stop doing that. Brevity is key, and horror still stays in that in that realm yes. for, for the most part. Where they're like, brevity is key. We can only tease you so long with suspense and horror before you become numb to it. So we got 90 to 100 minutes or so. Yeah, 90 minutes. I'm in out. It's perfect. To hit you. Like, I just watched Color of Space. um, And that was... It's it's really good. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. It was great. Nick Cage, right? Yeah, it's it's like 150 minutes, though. And like... yeah, it waxes on a little bit yeah, too that, long it, at, at it, spots. It, it's still fantastic. It's still great. No, it's a great not film. Knocking yeah. it, not saying it's not a great movie, but I still feel like brevity might have aided it in a way. And I think on our show, when we review movies, 
length always comes up in our reviews a fair bit because uh, brevity can be key. If you if you stick with one emotion for too long, you, then your audience becomes numb to that emotion. We're talking so. about. I mean, we were doing movies of the decade a while back, and I don't remember which guest of mine brought up The Irishman, but I was telling him, I'm like, guys, why the fuck was this thing so long? I mean, like. <laughs> yeah, I love Goodfellas. I, I mean, I like The Irishman. Kind of like what you're saying about Collider Space. Like, it's a great movie. I think The Irishman's a great movie. But, I mean, did it need to be three and a half hours long? Like, I think of all the things I could have done with that four hours. You know, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, it's almost like I'm not knocking the film. I'm just, right. I'm just genuinely asking, like, why was it that long? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want to piss anybody off, but those people who love Lord of the Rings, I'm not in that camp where I love Lord of the Rings. Right, so, right, right. But when you watch like the extended editions, I think I watched the extended editions once and I was like, all right, somewhat enhanced my viewing experience. <laughs> but it's not a practical way for me to ever want to spend a Sunday afternoon again. <laughs> right. I mean, it's got the time, brother. Um, all right. So let's do a wrap up, Dave. So what was your top five again? Just run it down again real quick. Yeah, all right, so number five was the Necronomicon from Evil Dead 2. Number four, three yellow barrels from Jaws. Number three, Origami Unicorn from Blade Runner. Number two, the Hoverboard from Back to the Future 2. And number one, the Ghost Trap from Ghostbusters. Love it, man. Great list. My number five was the Red Stapler from Office Space. My number four were the Ruby Slippers from Wizard of Oz. My number three would be Danny's Headdress from Midsummer. My number two was the Briefcase from Pulp Fiction. And my number one was Wilson, the volleyball from Castaway. So, Dave, we always wrap up by seeing what the fans had to say over on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. But before we do that, I have five honorable mentions to round out my top ten. Did you limit yourself? And what are your honorable mentions? So I, I I did somewhat limit myself. I have a ton of things on here, but uh, there's there's one I wanted to I that didn't make my list, and I wanted to question you on mm-hmm. uh, when I was talking about helmets and stuff in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Would you say like Darth Vader's helmet or Boba Fett's helmet are those props or those part of the character? Is that costume? Is that design? Is that outside of uh, prop department? Can I ask you something <laughs> before I answer? <laughs> Uh, Well, my initial response would be that's part of the costume, but now I'm going to sound like a hypocrite because I'm going to ask you, do you think Michael Myers' mask is a prop? I would say, I, you know, I would say it's a prop because they took something that was existing, a William Shatner face, yeah. and they teased the hair and spray painted it white, and All it right. became the shape. It became the shape. It became part of that character. Well, I guess, so, I mean, the reason I ask is because that's in my honorables because I took it out of my top five. So if if my if Mike's mask is a prop, then I would say Vader's helmet would be a prop. All right. I, I, I mean, so right? Boba Fett's helmet for me is the one that is the iconic one because I think when you saw that character in... Empire Strikes Back. The first thing you did was you were just like, that guy looks fucking cool. The fucking Centurion T-shaped visor. It just looked so cool, so iconic. And now we have a ton of Mandalorian characters, mm-hmm. including the most popular one now, the Mandalorian on Disney Plus, right. uh, with the same same type of helmet. This so, is the way. Uh, yeah, this is the way. Um, uh, you want me to go through the rest of my honorable mentions? Yeah, just give us the rest of your honorables, but just limit yourself a little bit. But yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only one of two moments that I truly loved in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when the Ark of the Covenant reared its head again, <laughs> uh, giving us a little bit of like a close to that end scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I, I always just loved the way it looked. Uh, I, I, I really think they kind of like hit that biblical, sure. you know, old school style with it. Um, a cup of water from Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, the Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's a good one. Because the story behind it is so great. Like, 
Spielberg just wanted this damn thing to ripple and the props department couldn't fucking figure it out. And so a guy who was like literally strumming his guitar while trying to figure out how to make a glass of water ripple noticed his glass of water rippling as he plucked the string. So they had to run a guitar string uh, from underneath the dashboard down to the ground. And in that pouring rain and everything that's going on, there's some poor prop asshole underneath the car plucking a fucking bass string. That's great, man. <laughs> Those kinds of stories are just perfect, you know? Perfect. Uh, an amp that goes to 11. Of course, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, how could that not be on there? Um, and uh, this one's a, a, a little a little tough. Um, would you say the face hugger alien from, from Alien counts as a prop? Mm, holy shit. Because uh, um, when they're dissecting it, it's, um, it's no longer an animate object. It is something that was created by the props department. Uh, and they used it. They, they made it out of, I believe, sheep or beef entrails and oysters, raw oysters. And they filmed with it for several days. And at one point, the power went out on the set. And a lot of that stuff rotted. So the, film, the, the scene that's actually in the film, they're digging through rotting animal bits. And uh, you can know, visibly man. see everyone's I, um, disgust. I, I have a backup if you don't count. No, this. I no, you can count whatever you want, brother. I'm just in my mind playing it out of my mind. I uh, I, I guess so, right? Because I mean, the props department would have been responsible for that yeah. creation. I mean, the the final one I was unsure of was Han Solo and Carbonite. Oh well, well, yeah. You already got your Star Wars though with Mandalorian, yeah. so you're good. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm good. I'm good. All right, man. What's what's your honorable? All right, saying? man. So what my number one was that my wife talked me into removing from the list because she said that this is. <laughs> she's like, that's not a prop. That's a set. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, but it's the house from Parasite, the Parks house, particularly the basement, uh, where all the crazy. Sh- By the way, did you see Parasite? I have. Okay, yeah. wow. Uh, I wanted to make I'll sure. I'll say that that is, that, that is a setting. Um, yeah. I mean, it's production design um, more than props. I get it. I just feel like the house is such an integral part of that kind of mind fuck story. Oh, yeah. Um, And then she kind of like talked me back down to earth. But I wanted to mention it because I feel like the house is very... Uh, it's a very centered piece to that story. It's almost like when there's movies in big cities and how the city will be a character. In Parasite, I feel like that house is definitely a character in that film. Yeah, I mean, I think once you get into the secret of the basement, mm-hmm, uh, I'm going to yeah. try not to spoil it too much, but once you get into like the secrets of that place, I mean, that's when the movie like really takes off. And it was already fantastic, but that's when it really starts tying all of its all of its little plot threads together into a wonderful tapestry that became my favorite film last year. Yeah, so. Same here, man. So, yes, yeah, so she kind of talked me down out of the top five there. So that would be my six. Well, I already mentioned Michael Myers' mask would be my seven, if you'll allow it. My number absolutely. My number eight is the blue box and the blue key from Mulholland Drive. Have you ever seen David Lynch's Mulholland Drive? I have. David Lynch, uh, I don't want him to rock me to sleep at night. I mean, his mm, stuff haunts me so much. Yeah. So much. <laughs> He's a fucking him weird and, dude. Him and Cronenberg just fuck my dreams up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mulholland Drive is my favorite movie of his, and I feel like it's a masterpiece. And the blue box in that movie, uh, what kind of goes with the blue key, they're kind of one one thing. But that's when I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything from a 20-year-old movie, but that's when we kind of, as an audience, are led to believe. it's If not a dream, then it's at least it's a different reality that we're now seeing. And it kind of, that blue box holds what we had seen the first two-thirds of the movie but was that reality or are we outside of the box now and seeing reality uh i, th- I don't know, I mean, it's 
it's Schrodinger's cat, man. You got to open it up to find out. Yeah, I think the <laughs> <laughs> I think the latter, but anyway, I think that's a very mesmerizing kind of tool that was used there. It was that little blue box and key? Uh, the business cards from American Psycho when they're at the okay, yeah. I mean that's a that's a big deal in that film, um, and I love just the mundane nature of it. Just that this thing that I mean, <laughs> so, I, most people would take for granted, uh, they hold as such status symbols. Yeah, it's it. just amazing, man. And then uh, the shopping bag from American Beauty would be my number ten. Uh, okay, yeah, I saw that on a lot of lists, but in my mind. Th- it was just a guy with a leaf blower laying off screen, blowing <laughs> a paper, plastic bag up and down. Uh, there's one I wanted oh, to bring man. up. It's not on a list of stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, you as a horror fan, uh, it follows, right? Yeah, sure. I love the fact that there's this clamshell e-reader that exists in that movie as a prop that they use for researching stuff online and stuff like that. But yeah. it doesn't exist in real life. There is no clamshell e-reader like that in the real world and it's this nice weird little nod in the movie that if you're paying attention kind of lets you know that like this is outside our reality mm-hmm. because here's a bunch of happy kids living in detroit for the most part and it's like well that's not true no one's happy in detroit <laughs> <laughs> this can't be real <laughs> this can't be real oh, wow. um but yeah i just love that like this little this little attention to a very small detail in this uh one of my favorite horror films of the past oh, like, yeah, I love 10 it. or 20 years. I love it too. Um, it's just this like little thing, but like it had me so enraptured where I was like, where can I get one of those? And I went home and I did research on it and stuff like that. I can't find this thing anywhere. And then I like read like an article on it and that's like, they, they were talking about how like its existence is kind of led, like meant to be where it's kind of like maybe outside of our reality, but something that's so similar to it mm-hmm. that it's almost completely recognizable. But yeah, I, I just love that. The way like you can fit something so small into a movie right, right. and it can capture at least one or two audience members in that way. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I love that movie too, by the way. I know some people are like, really? You like that? I'm like, yes. That was funny. like awesome. Uh, when you got out of the theater, did you not go to like literally sit down with the people that you just saw it with and discuss at least 10 different ways in which you could survive for at least 30 days or more? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like I, Anything that makes you have a conversation like that with other moviegoers is it's something you know beyond a film at that point it's it's, it becomes an experience and that's what i think film is ultimately about and props go into that like uh go go into making something more than just a viewing experience you know it allows your imagination to run a little bit more more wild with it and and helps parts of that movie stay with you more yeah i agree man i agree 100 percent. so let's uh we're gonna open up the old suggestion box dave and we're gonna wrap up the episode with some fan feedback here to see what they had to say i'm gonna save facebook for the end because i know you're not on facebook so maybe you'll have some surprises over there maybe yeah let me mention a few on twitter here let's see if there's some that we have not mentioned yet which there's quite a few word salad radio says he does not classify cap's shield as a weapon so captain america's shield what do you think Fuck off, sir. That's a weapon. Fair enough. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it used to bash skulls I mean, at that point? I mean, yeah, somewhat, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, Sam from Movie Reviews at 20Q says, is it a weapon, though? And he has a gif of the ring from Lord of the Rings. One ring to rule them all. What do you think? It is not. That is a prop. If I liked Lord of the Rings more, that would have been on my list. I don't hate Lord of the Rings. I just don't. I'm not in love with it. But that is 100% a prop. But I'm sorry. If a shield is not a weapon, <laughs> then Indiana Jones' whip is not a weapon. Okay? I think I think you have to say the Captain America shield is a weapon. Or at least can be used as a weapon. Do you know what it's I mean? It's a weapon. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I'm with you. 
Let's see. Monty Brantley over on Twitter says the Ruby Slippers. There you go. He also says the Crystal Shards from Superman and the Ghost Trap from Ghostbusters. Ooh. Ah, Ghost Trap. There we go. So, the Crystal Shards. I didn't even think of those, but those are those are pretty iconic. I think like that the Richard Donner film was the first one to really add like crystals in. I'm not a huge uh, Silver Age or uh, comics fan, but I think maybe Richard Donner's the one that gave us like the, the crystalline form of, of Superman where like so much of their technology was based on these Kryptonian crystals. Right, right. Gidget Von LaRue, good friend of the show over there in Australia. Uh, she's Stay out of the drafts, Gidget. Yeah, don't go anymore. <laughs> we drafts. Uh, she says Agora's Orrery in the Dark Crystal. Okay. I I'm not a big Dark Crystal fan. I haven't sure. seen that in like 30 years. So it's I don't remember. It's been so long. been so long um, for me. And Paul has a little shout out and says Nick Fury's thingy. <laughs> Which is a... His patch? What's his thingy? His dick? I don't know. <laughs> Nick Fury's thingy. Talking about Nick Fury's dick? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It could be a prop, I guess. I don't Does know. Does his dick have bad motherfucker <laughs> tattooed on it? No, it... it, it <laughs> It's in reference to an episode he did with with Wayne, and they were talking. I think he's talking about his like pager thing where he calls Captain oh, Marvel oh, yeah. and everybody on it. I could see, I could see Wayne just being like, you know, it's his fucking thingy. Yeah. Oh, fuck off, you cunt. And they talked about his dick for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, patron of the show, has a great list here. She's and I'm surprised that this one hasn't come up yet. But the leg lamp from a Christmas story. That's a good one. All right. You ready for? Uh, you hate Christmas confession? story, right? I fucking hate a Christmas story. But that's a pretty iconic prop, though. It, it's a very iconic prop yeah. because the fucking Trump, I'm sorry, the fucking uh, guy across the street, uh, who he, he fucking hangs it in his window every year. He, he loves <laughs> oh, it. there you go. Well, you get to see it every year. Nice. <laughs> think it's fucking garish. I'm going to take my Red Rider BB gun and shoot out his window. Please do. Yeah. Break that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a couple other good ones here. She has the Marauder's Map from Harry Potter. I solemnly swear I am up to no good. The golden ticket from Willy Wonka. That's a good one. The red. And it, th- that is a good one. The red stapler from Office Space and the lightsaber from Star Wars. She says. If, weapon. I know. She says if I can't have that one, she's going to substitute Wilson from Castaway. So I think she's going to like my list. She's got a couple of mine on there. Yeah, I'm so, so far I got one ghost trap. No one else is. Uh, <laughs> no one else got my got my stuff on there. So I think I'm fucked. How about this throwback mention here? Mike Marlowe says the cappuccino or the hat from Hudson Hawk. Bruce Willis. Wow. That's, yeah, that's. I, I did read that on Twitter, and I was like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that is a fucking rare pick there. But I, I mean, I guess the I cappuccino like is a prop, but the hat—that's costuming. If I can't have Indiana Jones hat, you can't have Bruce Willis's. Oh, so. fair enough. The tasty burger from Pulp Fiction. That is one tasty uh, burger. That's a good one. And uh, let's see. Oh, and the gold watch from Pulp Fiction. We didn't mention that. Christopher Walken. That's the one. Gold that's watch. the one. If I was going to make my list, would have made my list from Pulp Fiction. Because come on, man, that guy carried that hunk of metal in his ass for six years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to put. We should have put that on the list just because of that. Now, I love Brooke Reading, and I love Melissa over there. She's a recent guest on the show. Actually, as we're recording right now, her episode is on the feed for our top five period pieces. But Love Mel. I did a oh, yeah. World War Z uh, novel review with her over on her show, so you guys can check that out. I just posted oh, it on yeah. my Twitter, oh, so go through my feed. Oh, I will. I, yeah, I love her. So, But she had a good one that I didn't think of, and my wife had another one to go along with this, but she said Georgie's Boat from It. Oh. The SS Georgie. Leave it to the reader to throw in the Stephen King. Such a good prop. And then my wife said, well, what about Pennywise's balloon? 
which is also a good one. So. Okay, I mean, in the newer ones, that's 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 more of a visual effect. Um, the, but Georgie's boat, I think, yeah, uh, certainly yeah. fits the bill. I like it. I like it. All right, so we're gonna wrap up on Facebook, Dave. So these guys are great, guys. If you have not joined up yet, please check the show notes and join up to our Facebook fan community. That is where I interact with our fans the most, which is why I never talk to Dave because he's not on Facebook. So let's see. <laughs> Chris Yady over there says. Uh, the leg lamp in a Christmas story, The Rose from Beauty and the Beast. What do you think about that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess it's the new one, right? Because the other one was animated. So, <laughs> but it was still a prop. That was an animated prop, I guess. <laughs> no, you're doing. You're is, you're being a very literal. It, I get it. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I if you notice, my list was everything that was made by hand. None of it was a visual effect or anything like that. Or else I would have put. Uh, I I, I would have put Thanos's uh, you know Infinity Gauntlet on there or any one of the Infinity Stones. But all that. But that was pretty much all digital. True. There really was true. not very many physical props made of that. True. So. No, you did. You did a very like pure list and i love it the totem from inception that's a good one yeah that is a good one uh the phone booth and bill and ted's excellent adventure and mclovin oh fuck mclovin's <laughs> id and super bad he says oh mclovin's id is just so fuck i remember going to hot topic <laughs> at like the tender age of like 15 or 16 and just being like i should just yeah i should just get this <laughs> Actually, I think that movie came out in 2007, so I would have been like 22 years old buying that shit. <laughs> exactly. So I want to get... Still, but still shopping at Hot Topic at 22 years old. Don't let me fool you. I was never cool. Oh, man. So I want to give Matt Lewinsky a shout out because he kind of was being funny here, but also it kind of brings up an interesting point. But So have you ever seen Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, the 1980s? Oh, absolutely. So I he, love Rodney Dangerfield. So it has his movie prop. He says, Oingo Boingo and Back to School. <laughs> Okay, I'm sure. Um, I mean, they're kind of propped there. I mean, at the party, I feel like he's spamming the list, but like, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this it was made me laugh, so I dug that. Uh, Patrick Sherwood says a box of chocolates from Forrest Gump, the drum, eh. the drum kit and Whiplash, and the rug in the Big Lebowski. But is the drum kit from Whiplash really that iconic? Because I guess if you're a musician, maybe like you can look at that and like look at the setup of it and look at that. Maybe it's a Yamaha drum set or whatever. I don't know what type of drum set it is. But to me, that drum set, any other drum set, it's all just a drum set unless it's spinning in circles upside down and stuff like that, like your Nikki Six or some shit. Right. I I like Tommy, Tommy. That's Tommy Lee. Not, so let's get our yeah, let's get our Tommy hair Lee. bands right here, Dave. Let's get our big dick hair bands <laughs> <Please>. right. <laughs> Uh, I like the rug from the Big Lebowski, though. That was my favorite I of his picks. do like that, man. Yeah, it really tied the room together. Uh, let's see. Tony Vandenbush says the TV in Poltergeist. What do you think? I mean, I could put my TV on static right now and make it iconic, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> it says the refrigerator in Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Sure. I mean, both the TV and that. I mean, mundane objects turned into uh, something that is memorable for sure. Yeah. Uh, I would say Poltergeist is probably more memorable, although I'm not sure if Toby, Hilper, Toby Hooper filmed any of those scenes. He might have walked off set and let Steven Spielberg finish it by that point. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, I, do, I will have to give her props, though, no pun intended, for the TV set in Poltergeist because that is such an iconic. It's such a basic thing, like you said, like every TV is going to give you static. But now... Or le- it's wonderful imagery. At least, sure. yeah. At least for me as a horror fan, now whenever my TV is on static, I immediately think of Poltergeist. What am I getting on people for? I put three barrels spray painted yellow on my list. So <laughs> no, you're good, man. <laughs> uh, let's see a couple more, and then we'll wrap up here. So Julian over on the Facebook fan page, I believe a first time contributor. Thank you so much. Has got Hans Landa's pipe in Inglorious Bastards. 
Magneto's coin from First Class, Jack Sparrow's compass, the jelly donut from Full Metal Jacket, and the golden snitch from Harry Potter. How do you feel about any of those? A jelly donut? (laughs) (laughs) So good, man. Oh, Arlie Ermey in that movie is just like, as as sad as it all turns out, fucking cracks me up so much. Really does, really does. And the last mention is from Dan, a patron of the show and a new contributor to the fan page over there, but he's got... The watch from Pulp Fiction and also yes! Doctor Strange Loves Glove. Okay. As well. All right. There's one that people didn't mention, and I'm very surprised because it, it is pretty nostalgic to uh, our age group. Uh, Wayne Zelensky's shrinking machine. Yeah, you're right. That thing was like I I I already I'm only aware of this currently right. because of if you watch the Disney Plus TV series Prop Masters, um, where the guy kind of goes around and he kind of locates like yeah yeah, yeah I watched a couple like episodes that. of that yeah and like watching like everything that went into like creating Wayne Zelinsky's shrinking machine now they updated it each and every time they used the same one took parts off of it from the original one to make the the, the second one and they took parts of the off of that one to make the third one and so on and so on it's no longer recognizable as that original one but they do talk to the props master who made that one um and it's it, like when you hear the story of like everything that went into it like how they went around and just found like old parts to things and stuff like that they took apart like a $10,000 camera that they didn't know was worth $10,000 <laughs> at the time <laughs> to kind of like to kind of like make it and stuff like that it's it's really it's really cool it's 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 really iconic and i i i absolutely love that yeah. and i mean there's a ton of things in uh who framed roger rabbit which is also a part of that uh series on there that are yeah mary think, mary poppins iconic. too and yeah, yeah i saw they did a bunch on there as well i watched a couple episodes of that with my son and it was really interesting it's called what's it called prop but uh, what's it called Prop, it's prop master prop, i think prop something like that but i think if you go on your disney plus and you type in the word prop it's going to pop yeah up. yeah but, check uh, it out it's it, it's interesting for movie fans uh of, of disney films absolutely and stuff, man so and, cool. and to get your hands on some of that stuff too man is i don't know it's just cinematic history you know in a lot of ways for so, sure yeah for sure all right dave you know i'm a big fan of yours man we've been chatting all this damn time and this is the first time you've ever been on the show it's crazy uh i gotta get over there with you and jay too so let's make that happen but oh man we do top five lists i think our next one is going to be top five movies that should have been r-rated um, okay all right so that's gonna be our next top five i was watching a film recently i don't want to spoil it because it might be on the list and some people may come over and listen please do yeah uh, but check it out. <laughs> i was like man this film would have been so much better if it was rated R. That's a good topic. It just got me thinking. That's a good so, topic. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that for my show now. So thank you for giving me that. Go nuts. Go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, I, don't, I forget what I do anyway. So uh, hell, I may yeah, have already would, done it. We would love to have you on uh, for, for a top five, man. I think that would be great. We can do, uh, yeah, let's do it. you know, me and Jay come up with a top five combined list. You come up with a, with a top five list. We'll go back and forth, see who's, see who's got the chops. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Why don't you tell the lovely folks out there where they can find you and Jay, man? Uh, yeah, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just type in Super Movie Bros, B-R-O-S. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us, I'm on Twitter, at Super Movie Pod. Um, I, I'd give you the Facebook. I actually do have a Facebook, Jeremy. Oh, I never, okay. I never told you. I, I, I was on it for about a month, and I went, yep, now I know why. I, I avoided it, and I was right to avoid it, and I just- You I, are, I it, and I got I got yeah. something I'll peg you back on you there. I, you are. Yeah. If I didn't have the show, and I used to have a, my own business too, so I had, you know, like people could reach me on Facebook, and that was a way to contact my business. 
if it weren't for my business and for the show, I would not be on Facebook right now. Right. Like, so what happened was I made this incognito account, Matthew Krennic, because uh, I'm a big fan of Rogue One. So I, I made a Matthew Krennic account and I, I put my Super Movie Brothers uh, little Funko Pop that I made for myself on there as my profile pic. And I was like, ha ha ha, no one will ever find me. <laughs> Maniacal laugh, twirl mustache. Followed a bunch of my podcasting friends and stuff like that. Began interacting with some of them. And then, lo and behold, I start getting people with my last name requesting to be my friend. And yeah, I was like, okay. done. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Because I don't need to see the political arguments that my family gets into. Mm. I mean, s- some of us are Dems. Some of us are Repubs. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't stand that life. I just jump out of it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm with you, man. That is a wise, wise philosophy, man. I'm with you on that. 2020, we don't need that. We got enough in 2020. We don't need that. So I got my opinion, and everyone wants to share theirs, and I just, I'm so sick of it. No, I'm with I'm you, man. I'm tired of it. I'm with you, brother. So, wow, we're ending on a downer here, Dave. <laughs> we're ending on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> did you tell everybody where to find you? You did, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wear your mask, motherfucker. Yeah, and don't hit them up with, <laughs> don't hit them up with your politics. Dave, I appreciate you being here, man. It was a lot of fun, and I hope to have you back Thank soon. You. Okay, brother? I appreciate it, Gerald. Thank you for having me. I had a blast doing this, especially because I came up with it, and I believe in a ruling class, especially because I rule. <laughs> well done. All right, guys. Until next week, I will be back with another top five topic and another pee on the pod. Dave, take care, brother. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.